Welcome, everybody, to a Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. And you do not know how good it is to say those words. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and silent reporter, alongside the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, it's good to be home. It's good to be home. I had a great time in Indianapolis at the Combine and love watching all the coverage and everything. Actually, love is too strong a word, Johnny. No, not really. It's uh, Well, you you love it. Okay, yeah. it's, it's appropriate for you. For me, I leave it on, and then two hours go by, and I'm thinking, I've been watching this stuff for two hours. What have I really even been watching? It's just kind of nice to have it on, you know, yeah. just time goes by. Yeah. And then I watched the Oscars last night, by the way. What did you think? thought Kimmel was pretty good. My two favorite things about the Oscars are the monologue and the dead people, the in memoriam oh, segment. Because that, you know what I love about that? And the NFL did it, too, with NFL honors. With NFL honors, you tend to know everybody that passed yeah. in the last year. I mean, there might be some older players. Who's that guy who right. played for the, you know, St. Louis Cardinals, you know, whatever? Uh, yeah, exactly. There Way was, back. There, there was once a St. Yep. Louis Cardinals football team. I know. Yes, children, it's true. But... I love it at the Oscars. We have best, you know, or the the guy who won best sound editor for, you know, on the waterfront or something. Yeah. And you don't know his name. Right. And, you know, maybe nobody in the audience really knows his name other than family, friends, and people in the industry. But it's interesting. There was a guy named Gordon Willis who was the director of photography for Godfather 1, Godfather 2, Annie Hall, All the President's Men, and Manhattan. Wow. And he was the father of a friend of mine. He was the cinematographer for all those movies and a lot of other movies. And he died a few years ago. Ago and I thought I know I know that guy. Yeah. And those people are so well respected. And it's the same thing in football. It's like there might be some assistant coach or somebody who worked for an organization or a strength and conditioning coach from days gone by. You know, people who carve out a living, people who everybody in the industry might respect, but nobody else knows about. I like honoring these kinds of people. Yeah, I, the in memoriam. I I love watching it because I'm reminded of the great work those people did. But then I hate it because those people are gone. Yeah. And it's just it's a sad moment. And, of course, Eddie Vedder was playing a Tom Petty song. Yeah. Which was yeah. like, whoa. There you go. Man. And so, Petty's had his songs featured in a lot of movies. Wait, can you think of one right now? And some people consider it a football film. Tom Petty's song briefly featured in Jerry Maguire. When Jerry oh. gets Cush to agree to be his client, and he's driving back, and he's flipping through the radio to try yeah. to find the perfect song for the moment, and he can't. And finally, it's Free Fallen by Tom Petty. That's and right. And he feels okay. like that's capturing the moment for well, him. Well, I was going to say mm-hmm. Silence of the Lamps. What, is Petty in There's that? Pe- now Petty's not in that. Oh, a Petty American song. Girl is in yes. that. Yes. See? Which is kind of freaky when you think about Silence of the Lamps and all, but, you know. It puts the lotion in the basket. <laughs> On that note, I want to talk some combine. All right, it runs the 40-yard dash. Let's, let's look at the combine in Oscar form. Hmm? Most outstanding performance as a leading man has got to be Shaquem Griffin, no? Yeah, I think so. And you're not even really grading on the curve. I mean, when you think about what he's dealing with, yeah. with no hand. Right, no left hand. But... You're thinking about how great he looked, period. Hand, no hand, extra hand, it doesn't matter. The guy looked phenomenal, and you said he would. I mean, you told us that this guy would really make a lot of people notice him at the Combine. Yeah, I mean, he was was phenomenal. If you missed it, he wore an apparatus, a prosthesis on his left hand so he could do the bench press, Mm -hmm. and then he went and did 20 reps. To put that in perspective, 
Orlando Brown, who did not have a great combine at all, who is 6'8", 345 pounds, is a left tackle, maybe a right tackle. This is going to be tough. We'll talk about him in a second. But he did 14 reps. Does he win the Razzie? Yeah, I think so. I think he does, unfortunately. For but Baker Mayfield came to his defense. He did. Baker did. And, and, and Orlando's film is okay, but then again, it's – Big 12 guys he's facing for the most part. Yeah. So it, it's hard. But Shaquem Griffin then ran a 4.38 at 227 pounds. 4.38. I mean, that's that is lying. They were comparing him to Patrick Peterson and Julio Jones, and there really is almost no comparison. Yeah. 4.37 or 4.38 in the 40 is ridiculous. What round, Johnny? What round? I still think he's in the third round. I think the third round is where teams, I think, start taking. I don't want to say risks, but they take players that they may not fit exactly what you do, but they're too good athletes, too good football players, that you're going to take a chance on a guy and then see where you can make him What's fit. he going to be allowed to play with on the appendage? He doesn't play with anything. He just It's just playing it's just raw. No hand. No, He just plays as is. Not allowed to play with any kind of prosthetic nope. assistance, if you will. He doesn't. Now, I, I don't even know that he would want that. I think right. that's one of the things that, in reading about Shaquem over the years, he doesn't shy away from it. He just embraces it. I mean, they're doing ball drills, and the first drill that he did, it was a high ball, and he went up, and you could tell he tried to catch it as if he had two hands. Mm. But his left hand, or his left arm, you know, there's a nub at the end, and so he tried to catch it, and he couldn't come up with it. And he was so mad. You could see he was so frustrated. that he, he feels like he can come up yes, with those. He feels like mm. he can come up with anything. And when you watch him, and it was funny because one of the things I remember about the bowl game that he had this year against Auburn, they were going to finish the season undefeated. They had a lead on Auburn. There was probably about, oh, I don't know, about two minutes left in the game. And it had been a back and forth, just knock. I mean, it was one of the better football games of the year. And Jared Stim, the quarterback for Auburn, had rolled out of the pocket and was trying to buy himself some time. And, and Shaquille was kind of in the middle of the field, not really covering, just kind of hanging in the middle of the field. I don't know if he's spying on on Stidham or not, but then all of a sudden you just saw him with like two minutes left in the game. He'd play every play. He comes out of nowhere just flying across the field, tackles Stidham for a loss, and you go, wow. I mean, that was when really the speed thing to me, that yeah. game was when I was like, okay, this guy can really run. And when we were at the Senior Bowl, what I thought was interesting, Mark, was on Tuesday, the first day of practice, the Texans coached him. And so that day they let him do his outside linebacker stuff. So he was doing pass rush drills, and he was just running by guys from both sides, right? Left, it didn't matter. He was running by guys. Um, the next day, Wednesday, he was at safety. Wow. He went from outside linebacker to safety. He's going to make somebody happy. And then the third day. You just get day, that feeling. You do. And, and that's the thing. I mean, he can play. I mean, we saw his brother Shaquille, and he had the same 40 time as Shaquille, which is pretty amazing. And 438, the Twins. We ran track together in high school, but he's he is going to make somebody happy, and that's when you and me and John McClain were talking about it. Said, okay, what will be a wild card in the third round? That maybe we're not thinking about offensive line, secondary. Those are the two we feel like. But what what's a wild card? And I said, what about a guy that just can absolutely blaze the edge? A guy like Shaquem Griffin, because he can do so much for you. I mean, he can play down in the box. He can tackle. He's one of the best tacklers. Uh, in this group of linebackers, and then he ran four three eight. You could play that guy really anywhere. I yeah. mean, he can cover backside of the backfield. That's wow. I mean, it's pretty amazing. I, the, the more that I think about it, 
the more I think that the third round is probably his floor, that somewhere on day two that he's going to get selected. I would love to see it here because I think he's a really interesting chess piece that could have and do some really interesting things behind Watt, Merciless, Clowning. I don't know McKinney, if you have that luxury, though. Cunningham, exactly. And that's, know, that's the issue. To go for an edge rusher exactly. type of guy, which is what he does best. Right. And you have Merciless coming back. You're going to have Clowney. Watt comes back on the D-line. Everybody's healthy. I mean, it might be tough to get him on the field. Yeah. Now he'll play special teams, of course. You know, it's I didn't watch the coverage of his workout. I watched the highlights of his workout. Yeah. So I didn't see some of the things or I didn't hear some of the things they were saying. And they, they must have dropped in a Jim Abbott reference or two. They did not. How do you not do that? They did not. They did not mess with it. I will say this, though, and I thought it was interesting because I was behind – a little bit on the coverage. I had gone out to get something real quick. I paused the TV. I came back. I did something stupid. I went to Twitter and saw Twitter first, and I saw Shaquem Griffin 438, and I went, oh, no. So and then, like, okay, I didn't see that. This is so awesome. Wait, wait. Just the fact that John Harris did not want to ruin the suspense. Yes, I did not. Of watching a combine, like spoiler alert for a combine workout. That is John Harris. Everybody else, like, all right, catch me up because, uh but you, (laughs) I did did not watch. I I couldn't believe I went to Twitter. I was so mad, and Uh, it was our buddy Josh Norris from Roto World who put it out. I'm like, gosh dang it! And so I was like, all right, I'll just act like I didn't see it and watch it. When he was done with it, I've never heard Mike Mayock burst out with, you know, he'll say. Ooh, that was a fast time. I mean, his reaction to that he time, was pumped up. he was really excited. And I thought that was really cool because Shaquem didn't have a combine invite mm-hmm. until after the senior bowl. Did they bring up Jason Pierre-Paul at no. all? Did they, they did bring up, you know, players like, remember when Watt had the broken hand and his hand was basically a club? Ball, but yeah. and, and there have been a number of players over the years who have played with something like yeah. that. But it would be interesting to hear Watt's perspective, and I didn't see if he tweeted anything during this workout, about – yeah, you know, what it's like to play and try to pass rush without use of one of yeah. your hands. Now, Griffin's obviously used to it. Right. Watt was not used to it and had to adjust to it for a number of weeks. And t- Remember when he got the cast off and he yeah. was showing the crowd, it's I got my hands back yeah, against Jacksonville season finale. Awesome. So I think there's a lot to digest here with this, but uh, you got to give a lot of credit to that young man. Yeah, no doubt. And J.J. did tweet out, Something about Shaquem, not about the the club, but he did tweet out you know, that he was killing the combine and how right. cool that was I to see. I did see something like that. Yeah. yeah. So he, he definitely, Shaquem Griffin, I think, I don't want to say stole the combine, but I would say that he had the uh, most outstanding performance in a lead role. The best supporting actor at the combine, I would say, is probably Saquon Barkley. And it's really hard, although he probably loses, the, loses out to Shaquem Griffin by just a hair. But Saquon Barkley put on a show. And it was early on. Yeah, it was was on Friday. Yeah, it was early on. And, you know, every once in a while you get these freakish performance by running backs. But, you know, the the weight, the speed, the combination of assets that he brings, just so amazing. And you want to talk about making somebody happy. I just hope it's not the Colts. I'm with you. And it was funny because when we were watching him bench, there were – Fans of all types. I mean, we saw jerseys of all all kinds yeah. while we were there. So he benched on Thursday because he worked on Friday. So he start on Thursday. DP and I were watching the the bench as Saquon goes up to the stage. It was it was pretty quiet up till then, but then Saquon went to the stage and went pretty early because they go alphabetically. And there were about eight to ten fans up in this little cluster up in the stands and just cheering their hearts out for Saquon. 
And you just, I could see one of them had Colts gear on, yeah. and I thought they just, they're dying for Saquon. Yeah, they are. They are like, we need this guy. And yet, another guy who had tremendous performance is Bradley Chubb. And Chris Ballard has always said, build from inside out. Not all things considered, but I don't even know if Barkley gets the three. He could go to the Giants at two. I mean, that would be for the, the Giants. He was on the back page of the post. Yeah. I mean, he could end up in New York, but. My fear is that he ends up in Indianapolis, that Ballard does pull the trigger, does say, okay, we're going to put him next to Andrew Luck. But I don't think he will because there are a lot of other running backs that he can pick up Chubb and another running back, maybe Nick Chubb, and go Chubb and Chubb first and second round and feel pretty good about what he's done. If you're the Giants, I mean, you're two years after a season in which you look really good. You make the playoffs. Yep. You don't look good in the playoffs, but you look really good. And who's to say you can't look that good again? I know Eli Manning's not getting any younger, and as quarterbacks right. get older, he's from that class of 04 with Roethlisberger and Rivers. As quarterbacks get older, I think the drop-off, when it does happen, it happens pretty severely. Yep. And it could happen for him. You look at his numbers last year, not good. But yep. offensive line an issue. Are they going to take an offensive lineman that high? I think at number two, it's a it's a – possibility they take a Barkley. I think they could because the running game has been just... And Penn State has always sort of, not that this factors into it at all, but the fans must be going nuts because it's always sort of been, you know, people talk about Syracuse, but Penn State's always been sort of a New York team to me, football-wise. Yeah, yeah, I I could see that. Absolutely could see that. But Barkley, the Giants at two, I'd be okay with that. Now, Chubb's a good player. I don't want to face Chubb twice a year, but... Look, Indianapolis is sitting at three. They're going to draft somebody. Mm-hmm. They're going to draft somebody and draft. Hey. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. Maybe they trade now. Maybe a team wants to trade up. But I would imagine Ballard's in business at that point. So They could be because the quarterbacks are so valuable, yep. obviously, and somebody could want, you know, want to move up and, and do a dance with the Colts. But I'm eager to see how they feel about Andrew Luck's health. They say that he's going to be fine. Ballard yep. was very optimistic about him being available opening day. We'll see. Rumor has it they did not speak to any quarterbacks at the Combine officially. Interesting. Interesting. Mark, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Johnny. Who else started the Combine? Well, I got answers for you next right here in Texas All Access. Boy, it's wonderful to be back home here in Houston after a week in Indianapolis at the NFL Scouting Combine. The 2018 Combine is now in the books. It's all done. DBs ran today, and we're going to get to a little bit of that, because I know a lot of people have been asking me, what did I think about prospects in Indy? We talked about a couple of Shaquem Griffin and Saquon Barkley in the first segment with Mark, but I thought I could rapid fire through a number of names that were really, really impressive over the weekend. Guys that put on absolute shows. Now, the, the corners in of themselves, I mean, the whole group were flying. Nine guys under 4-4. I mean, that's unbelievable. When you think about the receivers, they weren't at that level for, for sure. DJ Chark ran very well. Uh, that was He was one guy, and there were a few others in the 4-4 range. But, man, the DBs were smoking. Now, a number of them have track backgrounds. Dante Jackson from LSU, Denzel Ward from Ohio State. But <laughs> it doesn't matter. Those guys were flying at the combine. So, Let's hit some of the names of guys that matter, that had really good combines, and maybe we'll hit a few at the end of names that should have had better combines and didn't, and maybe had disappointing days and disappointing flights home from Indianapolis. I thought it was cool. On Friday, we flew home. We were flying home with Darius Geis. Connor Williams is in the back. Those guys had solid combines. I don't know I'd say that they were tremendous. Williams, we'll start with Connor Williams because I know a lot of 
A lot of people, oh, man, would really like for the Texans to draft Connor Williams, a tackle of the University of Texas. Now, I say tackle, and that's where it starts to get a little dicey because as a tackle, a lot of times guys – look at Julian Davenport. Now, Julian's a little different because his arms are exceedingly long. But a tackle, you want a guy 6'4", 6'5", 3'10", or so with arm length. Well, Connor Williams didn't have any of that. He weighed in at 296, at 6'3". He ran well. He ran right at the five flat range, 504, I think it was. He had a 34-inch vertical, which is exceptional. But 296 is tough. And then his arms were the second shortest of all the offensive linemen at the combine. So he has the dimensions of a guard. So I don't know how long he's going to stay at tackle. I, I, I don't know. But at one point when he got to the University of Texas, he was 315 pounds. But in trimming some of the high school baby fat, so to speak, he's now he's a trimmed up. And I, I was next to him down on the field. He's trim at 296. Can he pack on some weight? Could he just get to 305? Even at that point at 305, it's going to be tough because he's going to have to go to guard with those arms. And I know, whoa, wait a second, tackles on – most tackles in this league, if you look at them, they do not have short, stubby arms. Connor's a really good football player, but, man, I don't know what that's going to mean for him. So, Connor Williams, a good combine on the field, showing the athleticism, doing all things you really want to see, with two exceptions, that being the fact that he's under 300 pounds and he's got short arms, especially for an NFL tackle. Now, Darius Geis, I thought he had a pretty good combine, 449. He ran to 40 uh, at 220-plus pounds, and that's pretty salty for a guy that size. And he doesn't seem that big. I mean, he's still sort of lean, to be honest, but I thought he had a good combine. 5'10 and a half, 224, ran 449. A lot of guys had a pretty good one. But I would say those guys were solid. They, they went in, they did what they were supposed to do, but there were other stars. Let's start with the defensive backs because the corners were smoking. I mean smoking. Denzel Ward, one of the top players in this draft, the number one corner on my board, 4-3-2 in the 40. He was not the only one. Dante Jackson from out of LSU, 4-3-2 in the 40. Both those guys, track guys. I think a guy that went to, to Indianapolis and surprised a little bit was Perry Nickerson. Corner, a little smaller, not a big guy, but flying up the track. But he ended up tweaking a hamstring. And that was that was one of the themes of the weekend. There were a lot of pulled hamstrings. Nickerson ended up pulling up a little bit at the end, but he ran 4-3-2. Three 4-3-2 times for the DBs. The best time for a wide receiver was 4-3-4. They had three at 4-3-2. I mean, that is smoking couple of verticals to keep an eye on. Terrell Edmonds, whose brother Tremaine Edmonds, linebacker, was outstanding. He had a, he had a tremendous combine. One of the top players in this draft, Tremaine Edmonds, running in the 4-5 range at 250-plus pounds, uh, was just tremendous. We'll get to linebackers in a second. His brother, Terrell Edmonds, safety, 41.5-inch vertical as a safety. Derwin James, 40-inch vertical. And then both of them went over to broad jump. Terrell Edmonds, 11-2 on the broad. Derwin James, 11-foot on the broad jump. Those, my friends, are athletes at the safety position. I would think the Texans have got a shot at Terrell Edmonds. Probably no shot 
at Derwin James. But I'll tell you, Derwin James on this defense, oh my goodness what that would be like. So the defensive backs certainly put on a show on Monday. On Sunday, it was all about the big fellas, D-line linebackers. Bradley Chubb did not disappoint. Nearly 270 pounds. I think it was 269 was the official measurement. He ran a 46640. Just crushed it. Tremendous. Now, the story on Sunday, of course, was Shaquem Griffin. As soon as Griffin ran his 438, shut it down. He shut down the internet. The dude was trending worldwide after 20 reps on Saturday in the bench press. A 438 on Sunday, Shaquem Griffin tore it up, but he was far from the only linebacker to have a great day. The linebackers, I, I thought, were really impressive. The off-the-ball guys. Malik Jefferson, we expected him to test well, and he did. He tested very, very well. He ran his 40 and 452, 27 bench press reps at 225, which is amazing. 36-inch 30, vertical and a 10-foot, 5-inch broad jump, which is tremendous for a guy 6'3", 236. Now, there are some holes in his game, but from an athletic standpoint, Malik Jefferson, freak show. No doubt. Another guy who was a freak show over the weekend was Leighton Vander Esch, a guy I absolutely love. Now, his program weight was listed as 6'4", 240. 6'4", 240. But he tested at 256. 6'4", 256. As an inside off-the-ball linebacker, he ran 4.65, 20 reps of, on the bench at 225. Vertical jump, 39.5 inches. What? 39.5 inches. Broad jump, 10.4, three-cone, 6.88. Anything under seven is tremendous. 20-yard shuttle, 4.15 is just great. He put on a show, Leighton Van Der Esch, I'm telling you right now, I when I wrote it, I watched him. A couple of times, I watched him against Oregon in the bowl game. I watched him against Fresno State in the championship game. I watched him against Utah State. Uh, no, Colorado State. Sorry, Colorado State. And I was like, man, I really love this guy. But he's a one-year starter. He was injured a bunch. Oh, do I trust? I didn't I didn't trust. I should have. And then he went to the combine. Yeah, that just solidified for me that he's going in the first round. Leighton Vander Esch, linebacker from out of Boise State. Just tremendous work. Now, Tremaine Edmonds is a guy that's ranked ahead of all the linebackers. He's right at the top. He and, and Roquan Smith from out of Georgia. Edmonds, 4'5", 4, 4, at 6'5", 253. Didn't do any other testing. Did bench press, 19 reps. That's more than uh, necessary, really, at his position. And then he had a broad jump of about 9'9", nine, nine, if I'm doing my math right. i got to convert from inches to feet. So 9'9", nine, nine, whale of an athlete. Moves, hits, strikes, everything you're looking for for a guy that can play any linebacker position. Uh, so he had a tremendous day. Just putting that four five is like that's really all you really needed to see from him. I mean that was that was tremendous on a D line on Sunday. Vita Vea, 41 reps on the bench, but he was outdone by a guy that for some reason didn't make the Harris 100. I was going to look and see where I ranked him on my Harris 100. And every now and again that happens. I end up I have I have a mistake. I just I miss out on a guy that it should have been in there but just wasn't. And this year that was Harrison Phillips. Harrison Phillips from my Stanford is one of my favorite players in this entire draft. I love the way that he can create inside. He just creates plays inside. 
as an inside guy at 6'4", 307 pounds. You're in 5'2", 140. He's good. 42 bench press reps. And then a 32-inch vertical. That's incredible for a guy at 307. Now, Vita Vea running at 504, or 5'1", excuse me, at 347 pounds. Now, if you've seen some of his running back highlights, you understand this guy is some kind of athlete. But he bench pressed 41 times. He did the 40 and 5'1". This guy is going to be an interior monster. Can rush the quarterback a little bit. He's better than Danny Shelton in that regard. He's not just going to be a two-down player, but he's probably not going to be an every-down, third-down player. But Vita Vea is right up there to me, one of the top defensive linemen. Now, the other defensive lineman to me that stood out was Deron Payne from Alabama. Freak show. 311 pounds, 4.9540, 27 bench press reps, 29-inch vertical, 28.5, and then a broad jump of just under 9 feet. That's unbelievable. Tremendous work by Deron Payne, a guy that some people are soured on a little bit just because he wasn't uh, perhaps as dynamic all the time. And, look, I, I understand that to a degree. In the big games, he showed up. He was big time. Unbelievable. Also, the edge guys went on Sunday as well, and they they put up some pretty solid times. Leon Jacobs, Wisconsin edge rusher, four four eight. But Lorenzo Carter, to me, and Josh Sweat were the story. Lorenzo Carter ran a four four eight. His official is four five zero. But when he posted a four four eight, I about fell off the couch. Like, whoa! I knew he's an athlete, but my gosh, that was incredible. Lorenzo Carter, outside linebacker, will be a true three four outside linebacker. Josh Sweat is a very interesting guy. Had a lot of injury issues before he got to Florida State. Then he had injuries at Florida State. This year, when he's finally healthy, he was able to to finally show what he could do. If he's healthy going to the NFL, he is very, very intriguing. His dimensions at 6'4", 251, almost 35-inch arms, 10 and a quarter inch hands, ran a 4'5", 39.5, I'm sorry, 39 and a half inch vertical, and then a 10'4 broad jump. He's got athleticism oozing out of his pores. It's just a matter of whether he can stay healthy and put it all together. If he can, boy, he's got an opportunity to surprise some people, I think, on day two on into the third round, Josh Sweat from out of Florida State. On Saturday, the wide receivers. Wide receivers ran, and DJ Chark stood out. 4-3-4 in the 40. 40-inch vertical, 10-9 broad jump. Guy's a whale and athlete. And one of the most impressive things to me was how he improved every single day at the Senior Bowl. They talked about Marcus Davenport doing that a little bit. Talked about Josh Allen doing that. I heard the analysts talk about that. To me, DJ Chark was that player. Every single day he got better and better. He ran a 4-3-4, which is absolutely smoking. Now, one guy that did not make the Harris 100 because he had so many off-the-field issues, I don't really know how teams are going to perceive him, and that's Antonio Callaway. 5'11", 200 pounds, could be a whale of a slot receiver, dynamic with the ball in his hands. He ran a 4-4-1, broad jump, 34-inch vertical. The athleticism is there. It's a matter of off-the-field. How do those interviews go for him? with the teams. Now, a couple of guys that really, to me, at wide receiver stood out for a couple of different reasons. Number one, DJ Moore, Maryland. Love this guy. Ran 4-4-2 at 6'2", 10. 15 reps on benches. Okay, 39.5-inch vertical, 11-foot broad jump, sub-7, three-cone drill. DJ Moore is the truth. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go in the late first round. He's got that kind of ability. Great hands, snatches the ball out of the air. Loves, loves to see him run with the ball after the catch. He is so much fun 
uh, to watch, and that is DJ Moore from out of Maryland. And how about this guy, Dylan Cantrell? Now, I know you're going, wait a second. Texas Tech fans are like, yeah, all right, some Texas Tech love. That's right. He put on a show. Dylan Cantrell is a guy not thought about a lot. If you're thinking about Texas Tech receivers this year, Kiki QT is a guy that a lot of people talk about. I love to watch. He is fun. Great hands. Excellent in the slot. Return game. He's got a little bit of everything. Just short. He's under 5'10", but, man, he could scoot. He ran into four fours. But Dylan Cantrell at 6'3", 226, and this is why it gets intriguing to me. He ran a 4.59 in the 40. Pretty good. 18 bench press reps is solid. 38.5-inch vertical. Nearly 11-foot broad jump. 10-10 broad jump. 6.56 three-cone drill. That's like slot receiver type speed. And then a 4.03 20-yard shuttle, which is amazing. Then a sub-11 60-yard shuttle. He showed it off. My question is, because that guy likes to knock your block off too, could you put 10 to 15 pounds on him Get him up to two in the two forty range, and make him a, a U tight end or even an F tight end. Now the Texans have got a good one. I think it's Steven Anderson, but Dylan Cantrell is a physical, strong dude. Maybe that's a guy in the later rounds that, if you look at it and think we're going to take him, we're not going to play him receiver. We're going to put him at tight end. You got a whole year. We're trying to sneak you on a practice squad, and we're going to try and beef you up and get you to tight end size because you're not going to lose too much speed, but you've got the strength, you've got the athleticism. He's got good hands, and he loves to block. Dylan Cantrell at Texas Tech might be a guy, a surprise guy to watch because the athleticism is absolutely there. High school teammate of Patrick Mahomes, college teammate of Patrick Mahomes, and a guy to keep an eye on, one of the winners of the Combine this weekend. All right, coming up next, Drew Doherty's going to stop by. We'll kick around a few things from the Combine as well right here on Texas All Access. Stay right where you are. One final segment of Texas All Access on this wonderful Monday evening. Glad to be back from Indianapolis I am your host, football analyst and salary reporter, John Harris, and I'm joined now by my cohort on In the Lab. It's Drew Doherty. Drew, what's going on, brother? Nothing much. Just a beautiful night. Going to leave here. Going to fire up the grill. Mm-hmm. Put some Italian sausage on. Some of the, nice. It's the best Italian. Remember when I told you about that? Yeah, you did. It is the very and best. You, it's the gold standard of Italian sausage. And you told me that you got a ton of tweets of people asking, yo, yeah, whoa, yeah. whoa, that's like a great tease, but mm-hmm. you got to tell us where we can get it. If you want to get it, tweet at me. I can't I can't. How just about this? If you want to get it, you need to listen to In the Lab. Yeah, yeah. You Which is In the Lab. Both. Yeah. Both. But tweet at me, and, and I'll tell you the, the place. So we did In the Lab. And this past week, and I th- I thought it was a good one. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought it was a really good one. And yep. we we've, we've come up with that. And we actually we did some brainstorming on what we're gonna do for some further ideas. Now we're always open to ideas too. So yeah. at Doherty Drew at J Harris Football, if you got ideas for in the lab, we're cool with that. Mm-hmm. We're we're we totally love cool. With we that. love them. We welcome them. Yes, we may not use them, but we welcome the ideas. But we welcome the ideas because you never know. Never know. You never know. One of my favorite segments on radio, which is one that, that Sean and I almost got fired for. Willie Ames? Well, that was a good one. But we almost got fired for, no, it was about, um, uh, I don't know if I can say it on radio, but it was about Toilet Girl. Uh, and it just came from an email that we got <laughs> from a, a guy that was just listening and said, hey, do you guys see this? Because he knew that Sean and I could go off on a tangent and yeah. do it pretty well. And we did uh, almost too well that day. So, you guys can send us ideas, and we will we will we'll absolutely listen. Yeah, we'll we listen. will absolutely listen to them. But just so people are clear, when you hear it, you'll know that uh, that I I won. Oh, the off uh, the yeah, defense. I won. 
I mean, yeah, I, I'm willing to concede the defense. I will give you the Although, offense because you got the shot. See, so. it's interesting you say that because uh, our good friends at the Battle Red blog, they had mm-hmm. some comments about it, and mm-hmm. I love the Battle Red blog. Uh, but there's one commenter there that said, John Harris clearly, clearly knows his football, which is true. His team would smoke the other one. Like, talk about the offense. I'm like, smoke it? Yeah. I got Deshaun Watson. You got Deshaun Watson. How's he going to get – how's that going to happen? But anyways, to each his own. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's interesting because I would ima- I know there were probably comments both ways um, as you look at it. But it it to me, I, I looked at putting it together the same way I would put together a team. And that's, yeah. that's inside out. I'm like, I, I've got I got to build up front, which is ironic. I shouldn't think that way, I guess, because I play defensive back. I know the value of a defensive back. But if you're not good up front – then well, see, and I and I recognize it. that. And since you had the first pick mm-hmm. and you had Watts, Watt, I mm-hmm. took Clowney. Yeah, but then after that, you went. If DB if and if, were, it. if I were to try to match you as far as staying like up front, up front, up mm-hmm. front, up front, like I would have really come out on the, the the lesser end. So I went hard after the secondary. Yeah, and I I feel like I compensated pretty well, man. I your secondary is amazing. I think with Clowney up front, which I yeah. had paired with that secondary and some real. <laughs> Above-average players are all along the rest of the front. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're world beaters, but above-average players. Yeah. And you get the maybe the greatest leader in team history in D'Amico Ryans. True. I mean, I, I'm I'm fine with my secondary. Yeah, if you want to check Glenn, it out. Aaron Glenn, Jonathan Joseph, Dante Robinson. You can play nickel and be fine. And Marcus Coleman, yeah. You can play nickel and be fine. That'd be all right. You could, you could play nickel. With Clowney wreaking havoc up front. Antonio you, Smith. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Clowney because I thought I was – I thought there were a couple things that were interesting, Drew, when we were at the Combine – Listening, listening not only to the combine, mm-hmm. but talking to team, talking to people from other teams about a, a litany of different topics. I mean, it, it was cool going to the combine, and it's been cool because we we get to see people that we don't get to see all the time. I've got to know Sal Capaccio, the silent reporter for the Bills, mm-hmm. um, and it's like seeing a you know old friend. It's pretty cool. I know you were talking to the guys that you know from the Forty ers who are right next to us. It's just really cool, but. But there's so there's so many national media that are there, and then of course you got the combine coverage yeah. that's going on as well. And there were a couple things that I actually heard in the room as I was kind of canvassing the joint and going around, and then people would ask me about it, and they they talked about how impactful and scary Jadeveon is, True. and they've they've seen over over the last couple of years how good he is moving up and down a lot of scrimmage that he actually, and I heard this on the on the coverage. They were talking with Willie McGinnis, and they were talking to Willie was talking about in Houston. They were talking about Jadeveon Clowney. They were talking about making the transition from being a four-three defensive end outside outside linebacker, which JD had to make. But in essence, JD then kind of went back inside and mm-hmm. became more of a, of a tool to use inside than he was uh, as as he was a tool outside. He's and, tough to pigeon. Like he can't really he, he call is. him. An outside right. linebacker or a defense. It's kind of you just sort of have to say edge guy. Yeah. And even then, you you can move him inside too. What? Yeah. From time to time, it's almost like Jadeveon has become the positionless player, mm-hmm. which is I think equal parts awesome, mm-hmm. and I think it's it costs him because when it comes to Pro Bowl votes and it comes to All Pro votes, where do you, where do you put him? But I thought it was interesting to hear. That about Clowney, and, and he wasn't the only one. I heard it from a couple other people, but the consensus was, though, as I heard from people, was, "Boy, Clowney's the real deal." You know, after a couple of years of being, and you and I, you and I have yeah. done that all along. Yeah, it's it, it's it's purely been a matter of him staying on the field. I mean, we right. saw it first preseason game of his career. Yeah, 
you line him up next to Watt, and he damn near sacked Carson Palmer with Jared Veldier. I mean, yeah. he picked him up, yeah. but, but Watt got there first and got the sack. But had he not, Jared Veldier would have sacked Carson Palmer yeah. courtesy of Jadeveon Clowney. Here's another one, Drew, and I, I, I'm curious your thoughts on this. And we've probably talked about this a little bit, but I think through the wreckage of a 4-12 and season, there was, there was one thing that stood out as I listened to combine coverage, and I, I'm telling you, I heard, if I heard this once, I heard it maybe a dozen times. But there were so many people, especially on Friday and Saturday, mm-hmm. as the quarterbacks worked out on Saturday and then they met with the media on Friday, I heard more people giving Bill O'Brien thumbs-up kudos for the work he did with Deshaun and really being a a role model is not the right word, but sort of being exhibit A for what you have to do for quarterbacks that are coming from college if you want to be successful. Got to adjust. You got you have to adjust. Mm-hmm. And I heard Daniel Jeremiah talk about it. I heard Mayock talk about it. Heard Rich Eisen mention it. They all separately and at different times and talking about what you're going to have to do in the NFL as you get these college quarterbacks, you have to take a lesson from Bill O'Brien. I thought it was really interesting to hear the hear them, even in a 4-12 and season, for as bad as it was, yeah. to point that out and go, that's exhibit A for how you do it. Yeah, and O'Brien has always said, it's all about the players. You know, They're the ones making these plays, and he's he catered what he yeah. did to what his players do well and how they make plays. And we saw that in October, 40 points per with Watson and Will Fuller in the lineup yep. too. I mean that that's he it, it wasn't all Watson. I mean it, it was all Watson, but it's, right. it was finding a way to use the the weapons that you had right. on offense. I mean Ellington was never better. Fuller was never better. Now it doesn't matter a tin can can be playing quarterback and DeAndre Hopkins is probably going to still get 1000 yards. <laughs> yeah. Get a bunch of catches, but Hopkins looked amazing with him as well. So yeah, he, he it is cool to see that because that month of no, of October really stood out to people, seeing what the Texans could do, seeing how they could score, because they'd been in such a, a, a quagmire, like yeah. a sandpit right. in 2016 with Brock Osweiler. Yeah. They averaged, what, 16, 17 points per game? Yeah, if that. Did not score over 30 points at all. And here comes Deshaun, six games with 30 points or more. His second start yeah. at New England, he goes for 33. And we're like – in. Our, our minds are going crazy, and then yeah. by the end of his run in Seattle, it's like, yeah, it was second nature, right. thirty points every time he st- t- you know st- got on the field. So, yeah, I think it is. It's fitting that that he gets those those kudos, and hope he keeps it up. Because one thing we've heard is, well, the defenses are going to catch up to Deshaun. They'll right. see that. I, I heard that a little bit this week, yeah, from other people. But I think the guys here in the building are adjusting for that idea as well. Yeah. And they're going to be pretty creative. And I think you're going to see some new things and some new wrinkles that'll probably prevent that from happening. Yeah, I I I agree. I feel like they're I feel like not to mention not to mention just the otherworldly talent and knowledge and everything and the maturation that we're going to see from Deshaun Watson. I say maturation purely in terms of seeing and diagnosing uh, other defenses and, yep. and growing as a football player. Because as a guy, he's he's fine. He you know? tweeted during the Super Bowl. I thought it was pretty interesting. He's listening, and that's one of the things that I think. The and I, I read I read this I heard this on the Thirty for Thirty podcast talking about the Madden game when they created when they created Madden a long time ago one of the things that was 
huge in Madden when it first came out was the sounds. Mm-hmm. You hear the quarterback barking out the signals and then the hitting and all that kind of stuff. And so when Fox got football in 1995, I think it was 95, maybe 95, 96, but Fox got football. It went from CBS. Right. And it was doing the NFC. So it was like 93-ish. Yeah, there, it was yeah. somewhere in there. But it was somewhere in the mid-90s. And then Fox got it. And on the podcast, the guy who was in charge of the NFL said he used madness sort of, I want I want to emulate that. Yeah. I want Mike's to be on the field. I want to hear the quarterback talking. I want to hear the guys talking down on the field. And, and Madden was sort of his inspiration. And I bring that up because at the Super Bowl, that was clear. I mean, you can hear those things down on the field. And Deshaun tweeted that he was listening and he was watching and he was looking at the formations and knowing what the play was because New England's offense has got a lot of similarities uh-huh. to ours. And so Deshaun was watching it and he was calling out the plays and he was looking at the coverages and he was calling out you know what the play would be. So he was sort of watching and studying all at the same time, which I thought, all right, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty cool that he's doing that. And if you're doing that, you got an opportunity to be that much better down the road. So it sounds like he was not at a Super Bowl party where that's probably he true. got some ancillary conversations going on. and that's I'm not saying. There's I, people like, like I don't <laughs> like Chris Farley. Anyways. Hey, yeah. m- m- remember when you, remember when you threw a ball to Wolf Fuller against Seattle? That was, it was really cool. It's probably interesting to watch really cool. Deshaun Watson watch the Super Bowl or to be in the, the same room as Deshaun Watson. There would be, especially obviously with New England there. Because if you're at a Super Bowl, offense. if you're at a Super Bowl party, there's no way in hell you can call out the plays and, and diagnose right. like what he's what you just described. That's can, can I say something cool. that's sort of I don't know, maybe it's sacrilegious. Or not. I hate Super Bowl parties. Yeah, I don't. I don't go to any. I, I, I I've been them. and I didn't enjoy them. I just like watching the game, you know. In two thousand seven, actually, it was two thousand eight, uh, February two thousand eight. It was the uh, helmet catch Super Bowl, mm-hmm. the Giants and Patriots. We had gone out to Las Vegas because our radio station took us out there. It was tremendous. Had a great week, but they were having this big Super Bowl party on Sunday, and I left after the first quarter. I'm like, I can't take this. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to be at this thing. I mean, it was just so many people. And hey, what do you think of this? And I'm like, and then of course, you, then you got the drunkards that are going, hey. Yeah, yeah, and then spilling beer on you. I'm like, I'm out. I yeah, literally I've, was out I've after the first probably quarter. Probably the last six or seven of them with my wife at home. I know, me too. And my wife enjoys it. Yeah, she enjoys it. She knows. Yeah, she. she my daughter too. Game. My son, not so much. He was, you know, halftime show maybe, but yeah. then beyond that, nah, he didn't really care. But it's fun to watch, no doubt. Drew, appreciate it, my man. Anytime, thank you. anytime. Thank you. February fourth, Sean Watson tweets: Watching Brady and hearing his calls at the line of scrimmage. I'm sitting here basically making the same calls and same plays. Hashtag film study. Got to love it. Got to love Mark Vandermeer and Drew Doherty for stopping by. Mostly got to thank you guys for hanging with me tonight. Big thanks to Ryan Rocket back in studio. You guys are the best. We'll see you tomorrow, buddy. And as always, go Texans.